Hello and welcome to Dance of the Seventh Daughter podcast. Dance of the Seventh Daughter is a virtual temple space centered around themes of the divine feminine, sacred sisterhood, goddess worship, and community. On top of this podcast, Dance of the Seventh Daughter provides an online academic blog, an artist alley where we celebrate a different artist every month, and a quarterly zine released for each season that shares ritual ideas, recipes, art, poetry, meditation, and so much more. It's time to enter the temple. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Dance of the Seventh Daughter podcast. Thank you for being here. Today's episode is all about what is a temple priestess anyway? Why are we still talking about a term that should seemingly have been left in ancient times? Um, What do they do? What are they for? Why are they important? And how are they still relevant today? So let's get into it. Okay, so actually today is the really true official release of Dance of the Seventh Daughter, so I'm really excited about it. The website is fully up and running. Everything is up there and available. If you go to seventhdaughter.org and click on Marketplace, you can order your quarterly digital zine issue one. You can also get a yearly subscription of the digital zine and you can get some tarot card readings, which are limited to 10 a month. So get it while it's hot. The official launch of the zine from September to November is on sale. It is typically twenty two twenty two, but right now it's eleven eleven. So hop on that. It's really, really full, full, full of information, rituals, recipes, mythology, lore, goddess spirituality, lots of cool, fun stuff in there. So check it out. And there's a new post on the blog, which is what we're going to be covering today. So if what I talk about today is really interesting to you, there are a bunch of links and names of the articles that I used that you can reference. And of course, on the blog, there's some really pretty pictures that I've used as well that you can't see when you're just listening to me. So you should check it out and share it. Okay, so what is a temple priestess anyway? Well, when I think about a temple priestess, I typically think about a woman somewhere or women performing these ceremonial rites or rituals within the walls of an ancient holy place devoted to a specific god or goddess. And it's funny When I started this journey years and years ago of discovery and exploration, my first introduction to any sort of like cultic practice or worship or goddess worship um, was with, I believe uh, you pronounce it Sibylle or Sybil. I'm not exactly sure, to be honest. It's um, an Anatolian mother goddess. 
And what those worshipers did is they ingested some sort of plant that they found in nature. I think it's some sort of mushroom or some sort of psychedelic property. And they would actually castrate themselves. The men would castrate themselves um, to be more like the goddess. And it was this big ritual that took place and went through the village and homes and there was a festival. And I thought, well, it has to, this plant has to have some sort of property through which you don't feel that sort of excruciating pain. And so I remember when I was introduced to something like that, the first time I was like, what? (laughs) Excuse me? (laughs) We're doing what now? And it got me thinking about the way text is written, the way stories are told, and who's telling the story. And are we writing, is the writer writing about a civilization or a culture or religion or a person that they like or that they don't like? And how is that story being told and reframed for whoever this new reader is? How does the writer want the reader to feel about the thing that they are describing? So when I get into this conversation of like, what is a temple priestess? What are their roles? What is the practice? Blah, blah, blah. Remember that we are working with texts, um, ancient texts that have been translated by different people. And then, of course, we have academic work based on these texts um, that are written by people who have their own particular worldview and belief system and um, thoughts and feelings about what it is that they're reading and what they're writing. And so that's always important to remember. I also want to note that I just got a cat. I'm very excited about it. Her name is Cleocatra. <laughs> Her name is Cleocatra Athena Tate, which spells cat. I didn't do that part on purpose. But if you hear like strange noises and meowing in the background, we are getting used to each other. And Cleocatra likes to walk all over my computer and she's typically very vocal unless she's taking a nap and likes to sit on my lap and it's amazing and wonderful and I love her and I would die for her. But if you hear her in the background, that's what you're hearing. Okay, so what I focused on in this particular blog post were um, dreams, death, sex, and birth. I thought that those ideas were really important when it comes to the realms that we as women have specific authority over. And what do I mean by that? I mean things that we can easily tap into with our bodies and uh, the way our cycles work and the way that our intuition works. Um, You know, woman's intuition, baby, that I think lives in the realms, um, well, the realm of dreams and dreaming and prophecy. And I think prophecy lives in the realm of dreams as well. That doesn't necessarily mean sleeping dreams. It could be waking dreams, which is important. Okay, so what is a temple priestess? I'm just on a tangent at this point. So there are actual records from a shit ton of civilizations and cultures and different religions and um, different god and goddess devotees that actually um, have records of 
temple priestesses, how many, what they were referred to as, what their roles were. Um, when there were records going off to war, there were records of the temple priestess. And I think that that's really interesting. And it speaks to the importance of this role in ancient civilizations. So there is some documentary evidence of women in Mesopotamia, for example, um, and it's written, of course, on, on clay tablets and cuneiform, and it gives us evidence regarding women and their lives. And a lot of that comes from family archives and letters and things like that. So there are collections of laws that also give us a bit of a deeper insight into the position of women in society. So those sorts of texts show us that kings would often appoint their daughters as temple priestesses or high priestesses who would then reside within the temple walls themselves. And there's also evidence that shows that if a king or a ruler or a new ruling tribe or civilization came and uh, defeated the existing civilization, or there was a marriage of some sort, or they were moving into a different place, the king would often appoint his daughter as high priestess as this sort of like bargaining, peacekeeping treaty situation. Um, also, it would keep her safe. That's another thing to mention as well. So there's a bunch of old texts from um, uh, old Babylon as well that show us that women were often involved in funerary rituals, so death rituals. And a lot of queens performed rites at the end of every month. And there's some discussion on whether or not that was just to ward off um, the dangers of moonless nights, you know, what could creep around in the dark, what we can't see, what spirits and beings come into play when we can't see, when there is total darkness, and um, to honor the dead. So there's a quote that says, women also consulted the spirits of the dead and were dream interpreters or even prophets. And then in ancient Greece, we've got Pythia, which was the name given to this group of priestesses and oracles at the temple of Apollo at Delphi. And the Pythia channeled prophecies in a dreamlike state, speaking for the god Apollo himself. So already we've got death rituals, uh, communing with the dead, um, dream interpretation, prophecies in a dreamlike state. So women have this ability to slip in between worlds, slipping in between living and waking states of consciousness, slipping in between the land of the living and the land of the dead. Now, personally, I think we do that every time we get our periods. I mean, I feel really close to the land of the dead when I get my period, unfortunately. And also, that leads me into um, the way that women manage pain in their bodies is quite different than the way that men manage pain in their bodies because we, we have pain built in. If you choose to bear children, that's a shit ton of pain. Um, when it comes to our bleeding time, that's a shit ton of pain and not just in our womb space and like, you know, when you get the butthole cramp out of nowhere, but in our breasts, in 
uh, other parts of our bodies. I mean, we get brain fog. We get a lot of pain built in into the natural cycles of our body, which leads me um, to have more thoughts of slipping in between these living and, and dead realms. Um, and then as we're about to get to uh, childbirth, we are bringing a being elsewhere. Let's call it the unconscious into consciousness. So let's call it bringing the dead, rebirthing it into a state of living. So I find that very interesting that the main role of the priestess, especially in those two particular civilizations, had to do with communing with the dead, dream interpretation, and prophecy. Um, being able to slip into a, a trance-like or dream-like state in order to commune with the gods. Ah, that also makes women very dangerous. Who else is more dangerous than a woman who speaks for God? That's a question, isn't it? Oh, oh, here comes Cleopatra. Maybe you can hear her. Hi, Cleopatra. Yes, we're talking about you. So... <laughs> We also see functions of priestesses outside of the realm, uh, the realms of, of death and dreaming and, and dream interpretation. Yes, I know. I know. Am I not paying attention? I hope everyone can hear this cat meowing. She's very beautiful. Oh, and she's... And we're back. Cleopatra has released me. Okay, so <laughs> we move on to the functions of priestesses outside of the realms of death and dream interpretation. Um, we see this role of priestess expanded in ancient Egypt, for example. Um, so there were few titles that were held by women that were so celebrated as being a priestess of Hathor, for example. And Hathor is a goddess of love, childbirth, song, and dance. There is a tablet of service that exists that was drawn up for those in service to Hathor that clearly states that both women and children had duties within the temple. And then we've got some later texts that tell us that the king would celebrate his regenerative potency by being in union with Hathor through the use of priestesses acting as the goddess herself. So basically, a sacred sexual rite would take place that would solidify the king's godly status and legitimacy. So yeah, the temple priestess, typically the high priestess, would act as the goddess herself. And this would solidify the king's reign, his rule, um, his godlike status for him to be able to join in union with the goddess herself. Yeah. So we're back to Babylonian legal texts and we have temple priestesses participating in the sacred act of creation and presiding over the spiritual requirements of childbirth. So in the Babylonian story of creation of man, there's a passage that tells us of the priestess's role as a spiritual advisor to the midwife. And the text itself says, let the midwife rejoice in the house of the Kadishtu woman where the pregnant wife gives birth. And Kadishtu is believed to be the term given to a sacred sex or cultic sex priestess. 
Um, so basically, what we have here is that the Kadishtu woman, the priestess, she was sacred and secluded and lived in her own little sanctuary. And while the midwife tended to the physical needs of the woman in childbirth, the Kadishtu presided over the spiritual requirements of the birthing. So again, this idea of bringing this unconscious being into consciousness, into reality. I am covered in cat hair now. So <laughs> I'm like trying to speak and do this podcast episode and wiping cat hair from my face. So finally, <laughs> in ancient Sumer, and not finally, as if we don't see it in thousands of other places and religions and cultures, but finally, just for my little conversation here, in ancient Sumer, um, we get the goddess Inanna, who is the goddess not just of sexuality, but she's a fierce warrior and protector as well. Um, and there's this other term called Nugig, and it's found in a lot of legal texts. And it refers to individuals that um, are in service to Inanna, and it refers to a profession. So at this point, the priestess, her life's work, her job is to be in service to the goddess Inanna. Um, we've got a bunch of other texts that's, oh, excuse me. We have a bunch of other texts that um, appear uh, that has the new gig on rationless as important members of society. Um, we also have references to the birthing place. And in a temple hymn to Inanna, the goddess herself is described as a new gig and her temple is described as this following quote, clad in the jewels of the new gig and designated as the Nigin Gar, a sacred room, possibly the sacred birthing place. Um, and of course, I apologize to anyone who um, is a historian and is listening to me pronounce these words and... Um, cringing in horror but <laughs> you can read them written out on the blog itself um really i could go on for for like hundreds and hundreds of years on this sort of topic so i'm gonna stop being super academic and i'm just gonna get into a bit of a discussion here there are hundreds if not thousands of texts that discuss different cults, different gods, worshipers, all their different rites and rituals. Um, there's a lot of stuff that shows the difference between priesthood, priestesshood, legal texts, literature, mythology. I mean, it's all here. It all exists. It's so easy and accessible for us. And yet it's not in our peripheral sphere because it is very female-centered. And there are so many texts and stories and rituals that refer to these realms of dreaming and dying and birth and rebirth and bleeding and cycles. And I could go on and on and on. And a conversation that I'm going to have a bit later is this idea, this difference between God-centered societies and goddess-centered societies, and how that changed the landscape of women's rights in general, and how we think about sex and bleeding. 
Now, you might hear a term like sacred prostitution, which lots of scholars debate. They say, oh, uh, sacred prostitution was never a thing. And then there'll be people that say, well, you don't have enough evidence to say it wasn't a thing. And then there's a bunch of texts to look at, blah, 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 blah. But it remains that the high priestess, at least, would partake in these rites with the king to... Um, reenact the union between the god and the goddess and to ensure a bountiful harvest and a good season, a good year, a prosperous year. So regardless, there were sacred sexual acts and rites. Um, And I think it's important to remember here that the idea of sex today in today's society in our God-centered patriarchal society is very different than the ideas of sex in female-centered societies. Or not even female-centered, let's say a little bit more equal maybe, or reverence for a goddess-like figure, knowing and recognizing that a woman has power and is magic and exists in the cosmos is very different than, you know, the society that most of us grew up in. Oh, and she's walking on the computer. Okay. It's a very different experience. And it makes a difference. I think there's a lot of shame around sex and pleasure. There's certainly a lot of shame around sex and pleasure. And of course, there's the double standard. There's the standard between men who have lots of sex for pleasure and women who have lots of sex for pleasure. I could go on and on with that, but I'm sure I don't need to. (laughs) So I will just say, you know, hearkening back to what I said a few minutes ago, is that there is something very interesting with the associations between women, between temple priestesses, and these very specific realms that they presided over that men did not. There is something important about the fact that the main activities and roles of the temple priestess lived within the realms of dreaming, dying, birthing, sex, and bleeding. These are realms that I feel we women have more of a hold on than men do as well. We experience it all of the time, whether it's an energetic death, whether it's an energetic rebirth, whether it's our intuition, whether it is dream interpretation and divination, who knows? So I think that's something really important to point out. Now, that's looking back at the... um, role of the temple priestess in antiquity. So let's bring this role current. Do we still have something like this today? Yes, we do. Let's talk about red tents. Um, If you're listening to this podcast, it's possible you've been introduced to the idea or concept of a red tent before. Um, So what is a red tent? So the red tent, the book that came out in 1997, was written by Anita Diamant. And that retells the biblical rape of Dina. So that was in Genesis chapter 34. And that story actually wasn't recounted by Dina herself, but by her brothers. 
Um, so what Anita did is she gave the women a menstrual hut, a form of a women's community. And the book is presented through Dina's eyes and those of the women around her. So the red tent is rooted in this feminist retelling of this ancient biblical story in which the idea of a menstrual hut has struck a chord with modern women. I mean, it has for me. The first time I heard about it, I thought, you mean a place we can go to bleed together with no shame, no fear? Wow, that sounds amazing. And then you do a little more research and you realize that there are other civilizations and cultures that still have a version of this. Whether that's good or not, that's up to you and up to the women who are forced to participate or not forced to participate. That's definitely a subjective take, but it does exist in other societies. And that's something important to to note. So this idea of the red tent, this movement really began in the early 2000s. Um, And it's grown to encompass communities of women from all around the world uh, coming together in circle. And it's expanded to this idea of, you know, celebrating women when they get their periods for the first time, young girls when they get their periods for the first time, women who are beyond the bleeding phase, women who are mothers, women who choose to not be mothers, or women who can't be mothers. It has expanded um, beyond just this simple menstruation hut, if you will, into um, an energetic women's circle into a community. And I think that's really amazing. Um, It means different things to different people, of course. Um, Some people actually build like red fabric womb-like spaces, which is really cool. Sometimes it's just a place where women come together. It could be a state of mind. Maybe you enter a red tate, a red, a red tate, a red tent in a meditative state on your own. Maybe you build your own sacred space in your room when you're bleeding. Whatever it is, it could just be a state of mind. Um, you know, many people, it's just a space where they take care of themselves. And most importantly, they promote women's conversations or they hold workshops about something. So the idea of the red tent itself can be whatever you need it to be. But what I'm most interested in is not the red tent itself and not even the emergence and need for women's circles and women's communities, but the this idea of what is a modern day priestess. Now, someone might argue based on, you know, historical information that a nun is a modern day priestess and just has a different name. Um, maybe someone who serves in the choir is a modern day priestess. Maybe someone who, um, spreads information about their particular religion, you know, in a non-colonial-esque patriarchy way, is a priestess. Maybe a freaking yoga teacher is a priestess. Maybe a therapist is a priestess. I would argue all of those things. A midwife could be a priestess. Um, A death doula can certainly be a priestess. 
Maybe someone who reads your tarot cards or your tea leaves is a priestess. I don't know. I think all of those people are a priestess. But to me, what that really means is that a modern day priestess comes together to support their own needs and the needs of other women. To be a modern day priestess is to be a listening ear, a gentle touch, a voice of comfort. It's someone who holds your hand when you're crying or going through a difficult time. It's someone who's there to rejoice with you when you got that promotion, when you bought a new car, when you bought a house, when you cut off that toxic family member. A priestess holds space for young girls to come into womanhood, for women to come into motherhood or cronehood, and for a woman's journey into the next life. Death, rebirth, blood, sex, birth, dreaming, all of it. All of the journeys and the cycles of a woman's life are encompassed into those things. A priestess is a pillar of support and community. She taps into her own sacred sexuality and life-giving properties and creates a better world for those around her. She is divine and wild. She is you. She is me. She is every woman you know. She is a young girl who is kind to a student on the playground that most students are ignoring or not playing with. She is the older woman offering you a friendly smile on the subway when you've had a horrible day. She's the girl that said, hey, you're bleeding through your pants or your pad is showing. She's the person that said you have toilet paper on your shoe. She's your best friend who brings you ice cream after a breakup. And she could be your therapist who gives you some really honest but difficult advice that you have to deal with and transform your life. A priestess could be the woman in front of you at the drive through line at Starbucks who paid for your drink without knowing who you were. They could be your favorite aunt that makes the best food ever and every time you eat it, you're comforted. A priestess is everywhere you look including the mirror. A priestess is everywhere. She is exactly who you need her to be. You are exactly who you need to be. And while the origins of the temple priestess were created a long time ago, I ask you to remember that you are the priestess and that the temple is within you. Whether we have a stone or marble structure somewhere where we all get to sit in a a room dimly lit and draped with red fucking fabric and pillows and sacred oils and candles and wine and tea, we get to bleed and talk and cry and laugh together, or whether everyone comes over for a movie night or you share a meal or you sit down for a coffee date with your best friend. That can be a priestess too. And I think that we have this romanticized idea of what it means to be a priestess. And that's not wrong. That's not wrong at all. 
if you want to open up a women's center or hello, a virtual women's institute like me, and you want to dive into the mysteries, if you want to go on a sacred goddess women's retreat, I mean, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. If you want to get together with women and bathe yourself in the waters and sit wildly in the forest and chant and scream and sing, holy fuck yeah. That sounds amazing. But maybe you're also the woman who just wants a quiet evening in where she knits a scarf or a sweater for someone's child or for a friend or for a cat. That's also an amazing and incredible thing to do. Tending to ourselves and tending to the people we love and tending to our homes are just as radical as standing naked in the woods and beating your chest. I promise you it is. Because taking care of ourselves and putting our needs first, no matter what that looks like, is radical and priestess-like. Taking care of our bodies and our needs and our minds in order to go off and do what it is we want to do, whether it's... um wilding off the earth and living off of the grid or it is running a bookstore where people can come in and buy knowledge and information or it's going to school or it's making a piece of art or a song or it's helping your grandma cook something that's been in your family for hundreds of years or multiple generations. All of those things are radical and necessary. Because they speak of love and self-actualization. That is a priestess to me. A woman who knows her own power and doesn't shake in the face of fear or uncertainty or unknowing is a priestess. And I'll even go on to say that the woman who does shake in the unknowing, in the face of the unknown but does it anyway, is a priestess. So I hope you remember that when you're not feeling so good, when something bad has happened, when something that you feel is out of your control has taken place, I hope you remember your power. And I hope I remember mine too. (laughs) So thank you for listening. You can get your quarterly zine now in the marketplace. It is available for pre-sales. You can go on our Artist Alley page and see our Artist of the Month and go in the gallery and see the beautiful images. And you can check out the blog and see some links to all of this stuff that I talked about if you want to. (laughs) And you can share, 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 share this with everyone you know. And you can share your light with everyone you know. And then you'll be a priestess. (laughs) Thank you for listening. And I'll see you next time.